Welcome back to the podcast on Binding the Bible. This is episode 60, Revelation, Strengthen What Remains. And in this episode, we're going to look at Jesus' words to the church in Sardis from Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And this week's unbound truth is really short and really simple, and it is this. The presence of the Holy Spirit is what gives life to a church. And particularly as it relates to this church in the city of Sardis, a church that has the reputation of being alive, Jesus says, but in actuality, they're dead. And so we're going to take just a few moments throughout this episode to explore why that's the case and to see what Jesus has to say to this particular church. So let's just jump right in. To begin this week's episode, here are Jesus' words to the church in Sardis from Revelation 3, 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It will help you a little bit to know some of the background um, that I think is embedded in some of the words that Jesus speaks here to this church. But the city of Sardis itself was kind of like a fortress city. Um, It was surrounded on three sides by extremely steep cliffs. And as a result, it was thought to actually be so impenetrable that, quote, to capture the Acropolis of Sardis, end quote, became a euphemism for achieving an impossible feat. Um, Much like somebody would challenge you to do something that they don't think you could possibly pull off and then they would say, you know, don't hold your breath. That, That might communicate something in the same way. Like, in other words, don't hold your breath waiting for this such and such a thing to happen because it's never going to happen, right? Um, but in the 5th century BC, Cyrus, king of Persia, caught Sardis's army by surprise in battle and then actually besieged their city. Um, the fellows or the, the, the members of Sardis actually still thought they were safe. And yet on the 14th day of this siege, a few Persian troops climbed the cliff at a point where, in the words of Herodotus, the historian, quote, where no guard was stationed, for there was no fear that it would ever be captured at that place, for the Acropolis is sheer and impregnable there, end quote. Well, suffice it to say, this was an embarrassing blight on Sardis's history. Their lack of vigilance and watching in an area they thought needed no attention an area of their fortress they believed could never fail them, caused the downfall of their entire city. A few soldiers snuck up on them unawares, and once inside, they disrupted their entire defense. 
So it's important for you and I to know this brief history because everyone in Sardis would have known it only too well. The church in Sardis, however, hadn't really taken notice, apparently, for they were repeating their city's misjudgment all over again. And the one area of their spiritual life they believed could never fail them, God's very own presence, was now threatening to bring about their downfall. In fact, Jesus even refers to himself as the thief, as someone who no one saw coming, a comparison, of course, he makes frequently in the Gospels. Only to the church in Sardis, his comparison would have reminded them of the Persian soldiers who, undetected, snuck into their fortress and brought the whole thing down. This church, then, has a weakness, a blind spot. Despite their defenses and their strength and their show of grandeur as a church in every other part of their ministry, this one neglected area rendered everything else meaningless. And so to repeat our this week's unbound truth, the presence of the Holy Spirit is what gives life to a church. Jesus addresses the church in Sardis um, by saying that to the angel of the, the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, the very end of this section in verse 5, Jesus talks about those who will conquer, will be clothed in white, and he will confess um, that person's name before his father and before his angels. And so it is actually before God the Father and before his angels that the real reputation of these faithful followers or unfaithful followers of Jesus actually matters. And yet the church in Sardis has something interesting going for it. It is that they have a reputation in Asia Minor, in the surrounding cities, with fellow brothers or sisters, you know, outside of this city, they have a reputation before men as being alive. And yet Jesus identifies this church in a really strange way. He says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, this is the only time a church like this gets this type of a commendation. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head in the Bible where churches think that they are dead, but really are alive, or that they have a reputation for being dead and yet are alive, that doesn't typically seem to be the way things fall. It's rather the people outside viewing the church, and sometimes the church itself, thinks that there's life here. Um, it could be a matter of you know the programs that your church has or the buildings that it has, its past achievements, um, its reputation in the community, its institutional greatness, and its historical you know strength through the ages, or its formal doctrinal correctness, or its ways that it stands up in public life and, and condemns sinful behaviors. Whatever the church happens to do, whatever the church happens to be, where it puts its stock, you know how many. Many members attend on Sunday mornings. We have multiple campuses. We live stream in our pastor across three locations all across the city. We've got 70% of our members involved in community groups. Things that could be great, but when viewed from the outside, give off the indication that life is happening in this church. It's alive, it's thriving, it's booming, it's growing. 
But Jesus is leveling something against this church, which is very closely tied to the way he addresses this church in verse 1. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God. And so Jesus himself knows this church's works. They know the things that this church is doing, these activities that this church is participating in, the ways that this church is going about living out the truth of what it is that they claim to believe. But Jesus's assessment as the one who holds the seven spirits of God is identifying this church not as alive and thriving, but as dead And one of the ways I think we can try to understand this is by a passage that Paul references in a prayer he gives to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1. And so here's what Paul says in Colossians 1, 9 through 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, it's the phrase bearing fruit in every good work that I want to draw your attention to in Colossians 1.10. And that's that Paul's prayer is that the Spirit of God would take the works we perform and bear fruit through them. This is why Paul is praying this. He's praying that the things the Colossian Christians do, the works that they do, he's praying that actual fruit would come as a result of those works. And I think it's important for us to recognize that it is not just the works themselves that guarantee that life is happening. If the Spirit of God, the seven spirits of God that Jesus references, which we've looked at in previous episodes, hearkening all the way back to Isaiah 11, where the promise of one Messiah will be coming, who will be surrounded by the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the fear of the Lord, the Spirit of justice, the Spirit of righteousness, the Spirit of peace. All of these these sevenfold spirits is this completed picture of the presence of the Lord active in and through his Messiah and now in and through the Messiah's people. But what Paul is pointing out to the Colossians is the fact that without the Spirit of God actively at work under the surface, bearing fruit through the works that we do, the things that we do can just be dead and lifeless. I mean, we can go through the motions. We can do all the right things, say all the right things, and if there is not actually spiritual life coming from the Spirit of God underneath those works and behind those works, they are dead. Jesus is identifying these very things as he does also in John chapter 6 where he says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. There are lots of things that people do and it looks great and it looks awesome and they pull those things off in their own strength without any dependence upon the Spirit at all. And Jesus is here to identify these kinds of things. In 1 John chapter 3, John says, Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. 
And Jesus, I think, is picking up on these same ideas because he talks about to this church in Sardis to strengthen what remains and is about to die because he has not found their works complete in the sight of his God. What Jesus is, I think, ultimately getting at is what he addresses the Pharisees with in Matthew chapter 23. And I'll read you just a few verses from that. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know, again, I think what is interesting is that what Jesus seems to be addressing here is the idea that outwardly we can appear any number of different ways. And outwardly, in front of other people, there can be ways in which we appear to be more spiritual or more in tune with the things of God than we actually are. But God knows the heart. God knows what's actually driving our motives to um, cause us to live in a particular way. And to this church in Sardis, he is saying, you cannot be my faithful witnesses if your lives are not driven by faithful dependence upon the Spirit of God. You need me and my presence on a continual basis in order to bear actual fruit. And another way to think about this is that in Galatians chapter 5, Paul references both the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And it is the fruit of the Spirit that we are after. It is the very types of things that the Spirit of God himself will produce in people while they are performing the works. And if you'll notice, when it comes time to talking of the deeds of the flesh, they are all these outward actions, these things that people can participate in. And they're quite negative in Paul's list in Galatians chapter 5. But in immediately following, he lists the fruit of the Spirit, this Spirit-empowered evidence that his work is alive and well within them. And he lists characteristics, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so it is very possible to have booming programs and a thriving building and many members and powerful preaching and serving of the poor and not have, number one, the fruit of the Spirit, or number two, the presence of the Spirit actually bearing fruit through the things that you're doing. We're going to find when we get to the, to the final church, the very self-sufficient Laodicean church, that Jesus' perspective on what they think of themselves needs to be corrected. But to this church in Sardis, it's their, their reputation and community's view of them from the outside. Now, this does not mean that the community around them cannot have a good view of the church. I think if Jesus' followers are faithfully representing him in the world, there may very well be some positive that is viewed on them from the outside. But it does not make your church successful in Jesus' eyes just because the community around you sees you as successful. 
And yet it's extremely encouraging to me that even when Jesus does not have much good to say to a church that thinks it's alive but is actually dead, he does not write off the entire group of people. And neither should we. The title of this episode I've pulled straight from the passage, and that is to strengthen what remains. Because Jesus goes on to say that there are still some, there are still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Jesus identifies in this particular church that there are some who have not yet fallen into sin, some who have not yet fallen into waywardness. And we don't really know what it was that this church was having a problem with. Somehow their reputation was a positive thing in the eyes of the community or the or, or Rome, but it was not positive in the eyes of Jesus. We really don't know what that is. It's possible that it was related to their witness again and to back off a little bit on how firm they were going to be in the way that the Spirit gave them words to speak at the moment when they needed them, as Jesus tells us he will in Matthew chapter 12. We don't exactly know what the problem was, but what we do see here is that there are still some in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And so we we start to get this idea of dirtied clothes and Jesus's promise to the overcomers is that they will be clothed in white garments and we see white garments sprinkled throughout um, throughout the book of Revelation in chapter 6 the souls of the martyrs under the altar cry out for justice and the Lord promises them that they will get justice but they need to wait a little longer and he gives them white robes to put on which are evidence Um, in some measure of their victory and of their purity. In chapter 7, there are, um, you know, multitudes that nobody can count from every tribe and people and language and nation standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And this is a picture of the faithful in the end who receives the ability to stand in the presence of the Lord in the presence of the Lamb. In Revelation chapter 19, we're told that the the, the bright linen, um, white and pure, is the righteous deeds of the saints. And so these are faithful actions driven by the Spirit of God in both temperament and or, uh, character, rather, and in action that are bearing fruit, um, real-life spiritual fruit for the kingdom, for Jesus in his name and for his honor. And Jesus is saying here that there are still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. I'm focusing my attention on them. I'm going to call them to continue to remain faithful because there actually is life in those people. And where there is life, that is what I am interested in. And this is a really big encouragement, I think, um, is to is to be able to focus in on the fact that when you look at a large group, let's say an entire church, there really are people all over the map when it comes to their own connection with Jesus, their own passion and determination to live as faithful followers of Jesus, some who's concerned for the community and what the community thinks of them, and then others who aren't quite so sure that matters to them. People are all over the map, but what Jesus's exhortation is to this church is to strengthen what remains. There remain 
in your midst people who are attuned to me and what I am doing in the world. There are people who are truly bearing fruit for the kingdom through their dependence upon the Holy Spirit. I want you to focus on those people. I want you to see where I am at work, where there is real life in my church, and focus there. No, it is very tempting for us to want to grab a a big rope, you know, a lasso of sorts and sort of encompass the entire church as if our entire motive is to get every single person to, to, you know, bow the knee to Jesus and to have their lives transformed when sometimes there's, that's an impossibility. Sometimes there are those who do not want to listen, who do not want to follow, who are more concerned with what those outside the church think of them. Jesus says, okay, fine then focus on the ones where there is still life. Focus on the ones where I am at work. Strengthen what remains. Because again, the unbound truth is that the presence of the Holy Spirit is what gives life to a church. It's not the activities that we can do, the busyness that we can get involved in, how well the church is known in the, in the neighborhood or in the community, the thrust, and, and this shows up in many of Paul's letters as well, is the role of the Holy Spirit to lead, to convict, to encourage, to comfort, to strengthen, and to empower God's people to be God's people. And at different points, some of the wayward are going to need gently rebuked. Some of the discouraged are going to need to be comforted. Some of the filthy are going to need to be cleansed. And the Spirit of God, depending upon the situation, rises to the occasion to do just that. But he's calling the church to faithfully follow and to, and Paul's prayers numerous times in the, in the New Testament epistles is that we would have ears to hear the leading of the Spirit. Paul also prays that we would understand the gifts that the Spirit empowers the church with. Those gifts aren't ends in themselves. He gifts church members with words of knowledge or words of wisdom or prophecies um, in order for the church to be able to be the church, to effectively bear witness to the power and presence of Jesus in situations where they would not naturally have the knowledge necessary to pull that off. So the Spirit empowers them silently, quietly, under the surface, in coffee shops, in the the, the church doors, wherever it happens to be, where the Spirit is moving, life is flourishing. And Jesus is calling a church that has all of the external manifestations of life, but Jesus, who sees under the surface, who sees the heart, who sees the motives hidden in the secret places, has labeled those actions in that entire church as dead And that's a wake-up call. In fact, Jesus actually says that. Wake up and strengthen what remains. There are parts in your church where there is still life. I want you to strengthen those parts. Because what will happen is you will grow um, a a new branch and a new um, living organism out of the center of this death. And I will come once again to empower my people. 
So instead of focusing on what are we going to do with all the wayward, we're going to do with all of the backslidden, that's not the point. The point is if you see yourself as among the faithful, if you see yourself as among those where there really is life, then focus your attention there. Focus your attention where there are some who have not yet soiled their garments. Because Jesus promises that those people will walk with him in white, for they are worthy, and he will never blot their name out of the book of life. This is the book of life, not the book of death. This is a place where the Lord has promised to permanently record the lives of those who choose to follow him, that he has called out of darkness into his marvelous light to be his light bearers in the world to testify to a crucified and risen Jesus. So to the church in Sardis, he warns them, don't let the same thing happen to you that happened again in the past where somebody snuck up a place you thought never could happen just because the Spirit has been offered to you does not mean you can then go on in your own strength to live out the kind of life you think I'm asking you to live. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit because we cannot live out our faithful calling as His witnesses without dependence upon the Holy Spirit. It will not happen. It cannot happen. God Himself is the driving force underneath our witness back to God. That's the way it works as Christians. And that's why Jesus has to rebuke this particular church in Sardis because of their failure to understand that and their failure to live that out. That's all the time we're going to take for this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for continuing to tune in. Thank you to those of you who have given me a rating or a review on Apple iTunes or any other podcast app that you choose to listen to these podcasts on. If you have not yet left me a rating or a review, I would really encourage you to do that. That's a huge help to those who are searching the web looking for things on theology or the Bible or maybe even someone searching for the book of Revelation and could stumble onto this podcast and find it helpful. Thank you again for those who are continuing to support this podcast on a monthly basis. It allows me to purchase materials. Um, Went out a few weeks ago and purchased a microphone to be able to help, um, hopefully to do some interviews in the future and not have to get a lot of feedback and uh, broken connections when, when we do. So that's something that I cannot do without your help. And so I really appreciate those of you who have contributed to allow me to um, continue to expand and to grow what we're trying to do here. Um, if you would like to contribute financially to this podcast, there's a link at the bottom of the show notes on every one of our episodes. And it'll direct you exactly what to do and how. So thanks again for tuning in. Have a great week. Thank you.